Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible and then your iPad, a notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you get the most out of today's sermon. And please enjoy our Sunday message. In our series on the Holy Spirit that we are tackling this summer, today we come to the filling work of the Holy Spirit. And to look at that work of the Spirit today, we are going to be focused chiefly on that text that was just read for us, Ephesians chapter 5. And so if you haven't already, I'll encourage you to take your Bible and turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 5. I think it's fitting that we come to this topic at about the midpoint of our summer series on the Holy Spirit because the filling work of the Spirit could rightly be considered the center of his ministry today, the hub to which his other ministries connect and by which his other ministries are rightly experienced. As we've seen over the past number of weeks, the Spirit of God has regenerated, has indwelled, and has sealed every believer. But it's the filling of the Spirit that helps us understand and celebrate those realities as we should. The Spirit teaches us. But it's His filling that empowers our recognition and reception of that education. The Spirit unifies us. But it's when we are filled that we are able to appreciate and preserve that oneness in the body of Christ. To say it another way, the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit does not cause his other ministries, but it does highlight them, and it does uncover them, and it does empower God's people to experience them more fully. So there's a sense in which this filling of the Spirit is really at the center of his work today, and we need to understand it. And we need all of these things for maturity. If we are to fully understand his sealing and his work, and his teaching, and his unification, all the things that the Holy Spirit does, we need to understand and walk in those realities to grow in holiness, if that is indeed our goal, and I know that it is. If we want to grow in godliness, we must have his power, and we must experience his work. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a command from God to his people. And that command is found in Ephesians 5, verse 18, which you heard just read for us a moment ago. But before we get to the command itself, what I want to do is note the context of the command. Because this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not given in a vacuum, right? Paul didn't just give it uh, without reason. There is a reason Paul is telling believers to be filled with the Spirit of God. And as we scan the verses that precede it, verses 1 through 17, we first notice, and it's hard not to notice, that there's just darkness everywhere. As you read through that text and had that text read for us a moment ago, you see just darkness, sin, rebellion everywhere that Paul is speaking into. And and the Ephesian believers are living in its midst. This darkness, it's behind us. Look at verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, For you were formerly darkness. We used to be darkness. We used to be in the dark. It's one of the many things that all believers have in common. We all have hopelessness in the rearview mirror. We all have death in our past, rebellion in our wake. 
Ephesians 2, just a few chapters before, famously opens by saying, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is our shared former plight. We were in darkness, but not anymore. We keep reading verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And we just say, what made the difference? What well, says right there, the Lord made the difference, didn't he? Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So we say, thank God that our darkness is behind us as God's people. And yet that doesn't mute the darkness around us. Yes, our darkness is behind us. We've been transferred, but you look at this world, there's still darkness everywhere, isn't there? It was true in Ephesus as well. Jumping back up to verse 3 of Ephesians 5. But immorality, or any impurity or greed, must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See, we've been rescued from evil, but evil still remains, doesn't it? And this is really a theme through the New Testament, but certainly in Ephesians. If we just turn back to chapter 4, it says in verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They're in darkness all around us. In chapter 6 of this same letter, Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, is it? It's not where our struggle is, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So yes, the darkness is behind the Ephesians because they're believers. But in Ephesus in the first century, it was all around them as well. And Paul was a realist. He knows that with darkness so thick around them, there is the danger of it seeping back in among them. Isn't there? Even though they don't belong to it anymore, there is still the risk that it comes back in. Back in Ephesians 5, verse 6, this is what he's concerned about. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Why would he say that unless it was possible for them to be deceived? Of course it is. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the Son's of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Drop down to verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. See, there's darkness everywhere. That's the context of this command that comes up, just darkness everywhere. I don't know about you, but I feel today what Paul's describing then, don't you? We all know if we are a half-conscious believer and we're reflective of our life, we know the darkness that's back there. We know the darkness from which we have been delivered. And we can tell you about it. I can tell you about mine, you can tell me about yours. We know that it's back there. We praise God that it's behind us, but at the same time we look at this world. Is there darkness out there? Is there any darkness out there? Of course, it may be behind us, but it's also around us. And I don't know about you, but I feel the pressure of it pushing in threatening to come back in among us. It's always pushing. It's always coming back in. We feel this same pressure. I mean, it's the same for us today as it was in first century 
Ephesus as well. And yet, God calls his children to be light in darkness. Darkness behind, darkness around, darkness among, and yet he says, be light in that darkness. Just scanning this chapter again, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an aroma and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Look at the end of verse 8. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In a world marked by immorality, greed, deception, pride, and idolatry, believers are to live godly, wise, loving, and pure lives. Peter puts this so clearly in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says, But you, speaking to believers, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. In other words, the darkness pushing in. Keep away from that. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's the context of Ephesians 5. Darkness everywhere. We are inundated with darkness. And yet God says, live as children of light. Live in such a way that that light shines in the darkness. That is your task. Now, if you're like me, the next question is pretty obvious. How? How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that consistently? That's the question. I mean, for most of us, the issue here is not desire, okay? The issue is not desire. We want to do this. We've been saved. We want to represent God well. We want to walk as light. It's not an issue of desire. It's an issue of ability, isn't it? I don't want to speak for you, and I'm not going to speak for you, so I'll speak for myself. I don't seem capable of consistently imitating God in my life. By God's grace, I think there are moments where I, I'm... I'm growing in that way, but if I'm really honest, I look back over my life, and if my track record says anything, it's that I am not super consistent in this. That the darkness still does seep into my life. That I lose that battle, it seems, in my more pessimistic moments, just as often as I win it. So he says there's darkness everywhere, and I say, amen, I see it, I know it behind me, I feel the pressure upon me, and I want to live as a child of light, but I don't always. So it's not an issue of desire for most of us. It's an issue of ability. How do I do that? 
how do I represent my Lord well in this world? In such a way that, that the unbelievers, they, they see me, and though they may slander, they, slander me, they are drawn to me. How do I do that? If you can relate to that frustrating sense of helplessness at all, and I'm going to hope for my sake that there's at least one person that can relate along with me, this frustrating sense of inability, if you can relate to that at all, good. Because that is the context of this command. Darkness. Be children of light. And we say, I don't think I can. And God says, that's right. You can't. But I can. And I can do it through you. And that's where the command comes in. So we've seen the context of the command. Now here comes the command itself in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. See, we have an inability to do what we're called to do, be light and darkness. But God says, I've given you the power to do that. It's the Spirit. You need to let the Spirit work in and through you to do what I'm calling you to do. If you want to live wisely among fools, if you want to live rightly among rebels, if you want victory over sin and guidance in your life, if you want to be productive, making the most of the time and not wasting your life, if you want that, Paul says, then be filled with the Spirit. That's how you do it. It's a prerequisite to beating the darkness, a necessity to living in life. It's the command. We cannot accomplish it apart from this. So it's important. Talk about the hub of the Spirit's work. I mean, the filling of the Holy Spirit is crucial. Now, the next question would be, okay, what is it? You know, what is the filling of the Spirit, and how do we get it? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we need more of Him. It doesn't mean that we need more Holy Spirit. We do not leak Spirit like an old car leaks oil. That is not how this works. Okay? We, the Holy Spirit is not kind of a supernatural caffeine fix that we need to keep on consuming to stay peppy. Okay? That is not how this works. Remember, as we learned in this series already, the Holy Spirit is not a force that we consume in degrees. He is a person. He's a person with whom we interact. We've already seen in this series that believers, we already have the whole Holy Spirit. He lives in us, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this, because this is important. We can't have more of the Holy Spirit, but he can have more of us. And that is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not that we collect more, that we top ourselves up with the Spirit because we've leaked throughout the week. No. It's that we are letting the Holy Spirit who already lives in us to take over more and more and control more and more of us. See, though believers, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That old self, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, there's still that old self in there, right? And he pushes his way in and starts relegating the Spirit to the corner of our heart, shoving him out of the way, quenching him, telling him to be quiet. The Spirit lives in there, but so does the old self. It's this war that we have in us. Our old self is powerful, and we do not downplay that. The Holy Spirit is powerful also, but this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to overtake our old self. 
when my wife and I were first married, we lived in this little back house above a garage in, behind kind of a, quite a mansion in this expensive part of the city. And the owners of the main house, they had adopted two children from overseas. And they were, they were troubled young men by the time we got there, uh, young adults, teenagers. And oftentimes, they would cause this couple a great deal of grief. They would run around, they would run away, they would destroy their property, they would be in trouble with the law. And, and we watched these parents from a distance. They had given these boys everything they could. We want to provide you with absolutely everything you need to, to, to be successful in life, to be well-adjusted. Everything we have is yours if you would take it and use it. And these boys ran away from it. They spurned the kindness of the parents. They, they, they rejected the help. And in a way, that's kind of what believers do when we grieve the Holy Spirit. God has given us everything we need, everything we need to be successful, to do what he calls us to do. And sometimes as believers, we say, no thanks. We run away. Or we say, shh, you, you don't know what's best. And we, we quench the Spirit and do all these things. But he's given us all we need. And Paul says, don't let that happen. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Allow he who lives in you, who longs to help you, fill you from top to bottom, overpowering your flesh with his holy character. Ultimately, to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. That he goes to every part of our body and helps us to live the way he wants us to live. And this is really made clear by the negative parallel that Paul uses in this verse, when he opens this verse says, do not get drunk with wine. And at first glance, you say, what an odd juxtaposition. It's jarring. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it actually makes a lot of sense when we think about it. Wine, an external substance, when taken inside in large amounts, it alters the thoughts and words and actions of the host. Someone intoxicated has voluntarily given over control to another agent that powerfully exerts influence from within. Does that not sound familiar to the Christian? In the same way, a believer in Jesus Christ is to voluntarily relinquish control to the God who has involved them. A powerful agent who desires to alter our thoughts, words, and actions, conforming them not to the darkness of our context, but to the light of his character. That's what he wants to do with us. It's the power of God that enables us to do what we are unable to do on our own, which is to live godly lives in the midst of darkness. Now, we're going to have to get technical here for a moment. I'm going to ask for your patience. If you look at verse 18 again, and look at that verb, to be filled, we're going to examine that verb a little bit, because how we parse it, how we understand that verb, it's interesting, and I feel like it's instructive. So a few observations about that verb. First, in Greek, it's in the imperative mood, which means that, as we've already said, it's a command. Okay, it's a command. It's not merely suggestive or descriptive. It is exhortative. We could put an exclamation point on it in English. Be filled. You must be filled. And in the context, that makes sense. The darkness is creeping. It's powerful. We want to live godly light examples, right? Then be filled. It's an exclamation. It's interesting that believers are never told to be regenerated, to be sealed, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're never told those things. Those are realities we get to enjoy. We just receive those things. But here, we are commanded to be filled. 
It's a command to us to chase it as though the quality of our walk with the Lord depended upon it, because guess what? It does. So it's a command. We need to notice that first. But second thing we notice in this verb is that it's in the present tense, meaning that this is something that's continuing to happen right now. We might say in English, the sun is rising. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying that right now, it is in the process of happening. It is rising as I speak. It's an ongoing thing. It's the same thing here. The same with the command to be filled. It's an ongoing, continuous process. Be filled, continue. Be being filled all the time, Paul is saying. Imagine trying a diet in which you decide that you are going to eat once a month. That's my diet. My diet. I'm going to eat once a month, but when I eat, it's going to be a doozy. I'm going to the buffet, and someone's going to roll me out of there. Right, that's my new diet strategy. I'm going to consume all the calories I can in that one sitting moment, and then enough calories that it would help me to endure the rest of the 29, 30 days until my next buffet. All of us say, that doesn't sound all that healthy, does it? What's better is that we constantly consume good calories that give us the energy to do our daily tasks. Very similar with the Holy Spirit. It's not healthy to jump from one spiritual buffet to another. Gluttonously consuming an event or a conference or an experience, hoping that that will provide enough holy sustenance to get us to the next mountaintop. And this is what happens when we confuse the filling of the Holy Spirit with an experience, with a feeling. Oh, I feel filled with the Holy Spirit. That might be true, but sometimes it's not. And when we confuse those two things, we run from event to conference to church service, hoping to be filled back up because I just don't feel filled anymore. It's a danger. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with conferences or church services or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the verb is to constantly be being filled all week long, like breathing. I need this air, and I need the Holy Spirit to fill me and control me, because if I don't, I know that I'm going to let darkness seep back in. The Holy Spirit must be constantly, continuously taking control of my life and giving me the spiritual calories I need to do the activities he calls me to do. Now, finally, we've seen that it's an imperative, and it's in the present tense, but this verb is also in the passive voice. The passive voice, meaning that ultimately this isn't something we do, but something that is done to us. We receive this work of the Holy Spirit. Now again, this doesn't mean that the believer just loses consciousness and, and loses inhibition. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a sanctified demon possession where the host is entranced, barely aware of what the occupying power is doing in and through them. That's not what this is. Believers are not unwilling participants to God's work, drunk in the Spirit, as it's sometimes called, and losing control of what they say and see and do. In fact, that understanding of the filling of the Holy Spirit is the exact opposite of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when the Spirit takes control, he brings clarity, not confusion. He highlights Christ, not the Christian. He empowers piety and not performance. That's what the Spirit does. Besides, all through the New Testament, what are believers called to do? Mature believers are called to be sober-minded, self-controlled, and always alert. 
While wine leads to dissipation, the Spirit leads to wisdom and godliness, and believers are to receive that work passively. God does that to us. That concludes the grammar lesson. Okay, we're done with that verb. But let's summarize it for a moment. What does that mean? There's a lot packed into that one verb, be filled. But let's summarize it. Believers must constantly and continuously allow God to fill us with his spirit. Let me say that again. Believers must, imperative mood, constantly and continually, present tense, allow God, passive voice, to fill us with his spirit so that he can empower us to do the work that he has called us to do that we cannot do without him, including the pursuit of Christ-likeness and godliness and to be light in darkness. See, we're called to be light, though surrounded by darkness. We say, how? And Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. You can't do it alone. He must do it in and through you. Let the Spirit of God have his way in your heart. And then we'd say, okay, what happens when I do that? What are some of the consequences when I'm obedient to that command? Well, that's what we find next in the text. The first thing we find is we look to verse 19 and following, is that when we allow the Spirit to come in and take control and to fill us, killing the flesh in us and moving us forward, it produces joy. There's a joyfulness in us. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. See, when the Spirit of God is actively allowed to control the believer, pushing aside the flesh, what happens is that he joyfully bubbles out. He, he, he comes out of us. He, we overflow with his joy. We overflow with the beauty of his goodness, and we, we just can't keep it to ourselves. It says we sing to one another, right? We share with one another the joy that we're now understanding, that we, we were once of darkness. We understand that more and more as we're filled with the Spirit. Anyone in here, as they've grown in the Lord, as they've spent time with the Lord, do you understand your past and the darkness of your past more or less? More, Right? The more you walk with the Lord, the more you realize, that was way worse than I thought back then. And the more you realize how terrible it was, the more you realize how great God's grace is. Isn't that just beautiful? When I'm first saved, I love the Lord. He saved me from some pretty dark stuff. Ten years later, you're like, oh man, that was way worse than I, ten years later. Oh boy, that's even worse. And God's grace is greater and greater and greater. But the Holy Spirit teaches us those things and confirms us in those things. We understand more and more that, that the Spirit drew us to himself, that he regenerated us, that he indwelled us, sealed us, testifies to us, teaches us, and unifies us. We've been made new. We're kept, empowered, assured, and loved. Do you see now how the Holy Spirit's filling is at the hub of all these other ministries? It's right at the center. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a done deal. It's objective truth. But when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, man, I know that I'm sealed. I relish that truth. I, I am motivated by that truth. It's at the hub. It enlivens all his other ministries. When the Spirit takes control, he reminds us of who we are in Christ. Even though the world, our flesh, our families tells us lies about ourselves, I'll tell you who you are. And if we don't hear from God who we are, the world will tell us, won't they? The world tells us who we are. And yet the Holy Spirit inside of us says, no, I, I, I'll tell you who you are. I'll tell you who you are in Christ. It tells us of the riches we have in him, of our secured inheritance and our kept destiny. 
And when we understand all of the things, those things more and more and more, you think I'm going to keep those things to myself? You know, as I understand all of these realities, you think I'm going to keep those? No way. I want to talk about it. I want to sing about it to anyone who will listen. And when I run out of people who will listen, then I'll just tell God. Because that's what he does next, doesn't he? Sing to one another songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And he says, singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord. Okay, no one else will listen? I'll tell God. I'll brag about God to God. That's what I'll do. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. I'm going to tell him that then if no one else will listen. And even if they don't listen, I'll tell them anyway. He's worth it. Because there's so much joy. I know who I am in Christ. In spite of what anyone else says, I know who I am. And there's joy there. How could there not be? When we are filled with the Spirit, we become joyful. And a quick word here about the power of joy, biblical joy, is that it transcends even the valley of the shadow of death. Do we ever walk the valley of the shadow of death in this life? Hardship, abuse, loss, disappointment, all of it is there. And I know that this congregation, even sitting here now, we have representations of that here. But you know that this biblical joy, this spirit-wrought joy in us, it transcends even those things. Because as tough as life is now, as disappointing as it is now, as many examples of sin and fallenness as I, as I have in my life now, I know that I'm kept, I know to whom I belong, I know where I'm headed, I know all of those things. And yes, these things are bad, and they are marks of sin, but what is coming is far greater. And so there can be joy in the sorrow. And this is the joy, brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, when he fills us, we can march through this life, which is sometimes really, really hard. And with tears in our eyes, we can say, I still have joy because I have hope in what is to come. And that is biblical joy. And that is a gift for the believers who are filled with the Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. Singing and making melody. People say, be quiet, please. So I can't. There's too much to be joyful about. It doesn't stop there, though. We also become thankful. Verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Gratitude just spills out of us. Not just joy, but gratitude. Always giving thanks for all things. Again, even in the midst of the darkness behind and around and among us, we're thankful. Someone filled with God the Spirit, hidden in God the Son, belonging to God the Father, knows one thing for certain, that the light wins. And I'm on team light. There may be darkness everywhere, but the light is going to win. Does that not give me gratitude in my heart? No matter what happens, I win. Because Christ wins, and I'm in Him. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Could there not be joy and thanksgiving in this life, no matter how hard it earthly gets in a fleshly sense? Again, a privilege of those who belong to the Lord and who are filled with the Spirit. Finally, we become humble. Verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's be very clear. Pride kills everything. Pride is the worst. It ruins relationships, it ruins marriages, it ruins families, it ruins churches. Pride. Because we think too much and too highly of ourselves and not enough about other people and about our God. It's our default mode. Pride kills everything. But when the Spirit fills the believer, it brings humility. Look at this. How could I not submit myself? And submission is such a dirty word today, isn't it? Worst word. But how could I not submit myself to other people when my Lord submitted to the Incarnation for my sake? 
How can I not endure injustice in this world when, when Jesus endured the cross? Is there ever, is there a more powerful picture of injustice? No, there's not. And he endured it for my sake. How could I not serve my enemies when it was while I was yet a sinner that Christ died for me? Why would I justify myself when I have been justified before the highest court that there is? See, the Spirit helps me see myself rightly and helps you see yourself rightly, and it brings humility. We've said oftentimes humility is not not thinking less of yourself. It's self-denigration. It's thinking about yourself rightly as God sees you. That's humility. Ultimately, we see here in these last few verses just kind of a sample. But ultimately, what is the consequence of being filled with the Spirit? The consequence is godliness. It's Christ-likeness. It's holiness. And that makes sense. He's the Holy Spirit after all, right? And what's he going to produce but holiness? When we let the Spirit take over inside of us, he's going to produce holiness. When I don't, when I take control, I'm not producing holiness. I'll tell you that. We want to let the Holy Spirit take over and fill us with his power and with his character. I just ask simple questions as we close. Oak Ridge, do we want this? Do we want to be a church family that doesn't just gather on Sundays? We sing our little songs. We do these things. We do the churchy stuff. Or do we want to be a people that are transformed by the power of God for his glory, that make a difference in this world, a world that is lost and in darkness as we were? Yes, we do, don't we? We want to be light in the darkness, desperately so. The only way we can is if we are a people filled with the Holy Spirit. This idea of self-sufficiency, that we can get creative enough up here, that we can do certain churchy things in creative ways and we'll draw people in, is nonsense. It's only the light of Christ, the Holy Spirit working through us, that will draw people to himself. We don't get to rewrite the playbook. We don't have that privilege. He's given us his playbook. Here's how I want you to do ministry. And we, filled with the Holy Spirit, say, yes, Lord, we will do what you call us to do and trust the results with you. We're going to leave them with you because we can't do it. We want to be a people who shine our light majestically and unignorably bright. But we must be a people filled with the Holy Spirit. So as we close, I want to suggest some ways that we can be. The filling of the Holy Spirit, it's one of those ministries that is easily misunderstood. A lot of baggage gets thrown on top of that work of the Holy Spirit. But as we've seen today, it's really not that complicated of an issue. The Spirit lives in us. Are we going to let him take control or not? That becomes the question. Are we going to let him fill us from fingertip to fingertip, from toe to the top of our head, or not? Or are we going to fight against him with our flesh and take away his power? But here's some ways as we close that we as a church, as families, and as individuals can work to be filled with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. First, some here need to receive. Some here or some watching online, you've never trusted Christ. You don't belong to him. You don't have the Holy Spirit, so he can't fill you. The first step for you is to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to understand that as we all were here, so are you. You are in darkness. You are a rebel against the high throne of God. You may think yourself a good person. Guess what? God's standard of goodness is far higher than you can ever reach, than any of us can ever reach. It's perfection. And you're not perfect. You're not perfect. 
And so there has to be something that happens to cover that gap between God's holiness and our lack thereof. And God says, I'll take care of that. And God sent his son to die on the cross for you, for me, to pay the penalty for the debt you owe, to pay the penalty for your sins. It's been done. It's finished. Christ himself said, hanging on the cross, it is finished. It is done. He died, was buried, and then he rose from the dead, defeating death. And he offers eternal life, forgiveness to all who would trust him for it. And so if you're here today and you've never thrown yourself on God's mercy and said, and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't know the depths of my sin. I just know that I am. I'm imperfect. And I want to be righteous in your eyes. I need Jesus. And I encourage you, today is the day. Just talk to the Lord. You don't need to walk this aisle. You don't need to do anything. You need to talk to the Lord. Do business with him. Say, I know I'm far from you. I know Jesus died. Your son died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I'm believing in him now for eternal life. And brother, sister, you've just passed from death to life, from darkness into light, never to go back again. Welcome to the family. So for you, to talk about being filled with the Spirit, some here just need to receive him for the first time. Now the rest of us who have done that, there's some other ways that we can be filled with the Spirit. More exactly, there are ways that we fight against being filled with the Spirit. First, some of us need to repent. Some of us need to repent. A reason you're not filled with the Spirit is that you are harboring sin in your life. You're harboring sin in your life. You know it. You've tried to justify it away, but it is stopping you from growing. You know, as the author says uh, when he wrote to the Hebrews, he says, I wanted, I wanted you to be teachers at this point, but you're still on milk. You should be on meat. You should have matured beyond this point. There are some believers who are just not maturing, and one of the reasons is they're harboring sin. They will not repent of that sin. Again, you need to do business with God. You need to talk to the Lord, and you need to repent. And all repentance means, means ultimately is agreeing with the Lord, saying, I know that the world out there is applauding my sin, is green-lighting my sin, is saying that it's a mark of freedom, it's saying it's a mark of maturity, all that kind of stuff, but God, guess what? I'm going to believe you and not them. That's what repentance is. I'm agreeing with you that what I've done, what I am doing, is, is rebellion against you. And I need your forgiveness. And guess what? That's all it takes. First John chapter 1 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if you're a believer, you just come to the Lord and say, Lord, this sin I've been wrestling with, I'm bringing it to you and I'm agreeing with you. It doesn't mean that you'll never stumble into it again. But it means that when you do, you come back to him over and over again. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. I did it again. And he will cleanse you over and over and over again. So one thing, one reason you're not filled with the Spirit is that you may not be repenting of your sin. We are to live lives of repentance as believers. Don't think that because you go home and you repent, you spend some time repenting with the Lord today, that you're the only believer in here who's repenting. We're all repentant believers. Every day. Every hour, for some of us. You know, we go to the Lord and say, I agree with you. I was wrong again. Why do I do that? Lord, help me. Help me. We repent. We get that cleansing. So some of us need to repent. Others of us, and this is very related, but others need to obey. Do obey. Galatians 5, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. They are polar opposites. You know, Part of living in a dark world like we do is that we are inundated by the suggestions that God's word doesn't mean what it says or that he's not as serious as he seems to be or that it's mainly suggestion, right? Some of this in here is just suggestion, right? Our world will tell us those things, but as believers, we need to 
put our foot down and say, no, even if I don't understand some of this, and even if it doesn't fit with our cultural time, I'm going to believe that God is real, that he has spoken, and that he means what he says. I'm going to walk as best I can in obedience with him. It's a decision you have to make that I have to make. No one can make for you, but you walk in obedience. I'm going to repent when I stumble, and I'm going to commit myself and ask him to help me walk in obedience. If you're not being filled with the Spirit, if you're not walking and finding victory over sin, it could be because you're not repenting and you're not walking in obedience. You're justifying some sort of disobedience. And we all get there from time to time, but we need to be honest with ourselves that that is stopping us from being filled with the Holy Spirit. One more, and this is for all of us. We need to ask. How about that? How about we ask the Lord? Fill us with your Spirit. Our Lord Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, he's speaking to the religious leaders, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's ready to fill you with the Spirit. The Spirit is more powerful than the flesh, and yet we let the flesh take over. How about we ask God, say, Lord, help me. Fill me with your Spirit afresh. When was the last time that you asked God, fill me with your Spirit Get up in the morning. Remember, it's like breathe. It's continuous. It's not buffet to buffet. It's every day. We go to him and just say, this assignment to be light and darkness, I don't know if I can do it. And God comes along and says, no. No, you can't. But I can. Let me do it in and through you. You have the spirit in you, and we say, fill me. Fill me from tip to tip, from top of my head to my toes. Fill me with your spirit. Take over that I may walk in newness of life. Live out the salvation that I so enjoy. Let's ask him together for that as we close. Please bow with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons, blogs, and other resources, you can check out our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.